So we want to say welcome to all of you, and um, we appreciate that you made this choice to come to church on this uh, Sunday morning. So it's either you go fishing, or you stay home, or you come to church, right? When it's raining outside, there's not too much things to do, um, like to, to have fun. I, want, I have a confession to make. I don't know what's about this spot right here on this stage, that when I'm here, my mouth gets so dry. I can stay anywhere in the church, in the back, over there, I can talk for hours and I have no problems. But when I'm here, my mouth gets dry and it's like, oof. So you'll have to forgive me, I have to drink water. And that reminds me, you know, I don't know if you pay attention to, sometimes I look at the, uh, the preachers, the teachers who come to preach, and some of them, they do such a great job they don't need no water, and they can just preach and preach, no matter how big the crowd is. And, and that's, that's great. Now, if we want to, to step this um, one, to take this one step forward, uh, for, um, you know, forward, is I really appreciate those preachers who do not need any water and any notes. So that, I think, is something different. You can preach and do a good job. I can preach without notes, but I'm not sure about that. So this morning, I have my water and I have my notes, and definitely it's the Word of God that we have with us. Sometimes I think about how beautiful it would be for us if we were able to be with Jesus, to sit, you know, to hear how He's preaching. And sometimes I have these questions about the details that we don't find in the Bible. Like, was Jesus preparing his sermons? Like, was he writing them on a papyrus? Was he using one of the disciples to do that? Um, did he have a container with water to drink, you know, while he was teaching? Bottom line, I would like to be there to listen to him and to journey with him, to travel with him. We know that the life of Jesus was a, a journey. And his journey started even before he was born, born, when Mary and Joseph had to go to Bethlehem to register, right? And after that, they had to travel from Bethlehem. They went to Egypt um, because uh, Jesus was in, um, in danger. And from Egypt, the family went back to Nazareth. And when Jesus grew older, then what he did, he started to travel from place to place, from Galilee and Capernaum to preach the gospel. So the, um, the action for, for the text that we're going to read this morning actually happens on the journey, on one of these journeys. Because Jesus' final destination was Jerusalem. In Jerusalem, he would have to go there to die for the sin of the world. So if you have your Bibles, please open them with me. Um, also, I think they will have the text here. We're going to read from Luke chapter 9, from verse 51 to 56. And the word of the God says um, this. Now when, was the time, now when the time was approaching for him, meaning for Jesus, to be taken up to heaven, he was determined to go to Jerusalem to fulfill his purpose. He sent messengers on ahead of him, and they went into a Samaritan village to make arrangements for him. But the people would not welcome him because he was traveling towards Jerusalem. When his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven to consume them as Elijah did? But he, meaning Jesus, turns toward them, rebuked them, and said, 
you don't know what kind of spirit it's influencing you. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy people's souls, but to save them. And they went for another and they went to another village. Amen. The last few Sundays you saw that we we are in a series of messages called the stories of the kingdom. So for today, it's not a story of the kingdom, uh, kingdom of God per se. However, it is about the attitudes that we can have regarding the kingdom of God. So in this text, we can see that there are at least three different kinds of attitudes when it comes to the kingdom of God. We're going to take them one by one. One of the first attitudes that we can see there uh, we can see it in verse 52 and 53, is that those people from that village didn't receive Jesus. Didn't receive Jesus. And sometimes it's hard for us to see this. How come? How come those Samaritans didn't want to receive Jesus in their village? What was going on there? Now, to understand the context, what was happening between Jews and, and Samaritans, it was an ongoing feud or an ongoing fight that is being, uh, has been going on for 500 years from the time when King Neb Nebuchadnezzar, <clears throat> that's a big name for me to pronounce, um, conquered Jerusalem, right, and conquered uh, Judea and took the population into captivity in, in Babylon. Right? And at that time, when, what the king did, he did it for, with all the nations, not just with Judah. He took the people from Judah to Babylon, and then he put other people from other parts of the kingdom in Judah. Now, not all the Jews were carried off to Babylon. They were like the sick, or um, the elderly were left in the country, and also the many temple scribes were left to care for them. However, because the country was so vacant, what these people did, they moved away from Jerusalem into the pasture lands and the fields of Samaria. So they lived there. And it's not just that they lived there, they start to intermarry with this new population that Nebuchadnezzar brought them there. So Samaritans were not a pure Jewish race. They were a mixed race. The funny thing is that when 70 years later, when the people from um, Babylonian captivity returned back to Jerusalem, they wanted to rebuild the city and Samaritans came to help them. But the Jews said, no, we don't need your help. You are half-breeds. So you go back and, and stay in Samaria. So this feud was going on for 500 years. And it got so bad that in the time of Christ, a Jew would prefer to, to cross the Jordan instead of traveling through Samaria, through Samaria. Now, in all of this dynamic, it's beautiful to see how Jesus is addressing this. And there are numerous places in the Bible where it says that Jesus, he went into Samaria. Samaria. And actually, it was in John chapter 4, verse 26, we see that it was to a sinful Samaritan woman that Jesus announced that he was Messiah. He chose a Samaritan to say, I am Messiah. Right? And after that, Jesus corrected Jews, the Jews, for their prejudice. And in, um, in the parable of the Good Samaritan, um, in Luke 10, Jesus makes the main character of the, uh, the parable a Samaritan. 
right? And then in Luke 17, one of, one of ten leopards who were healed, and the only one who came to, re, to thank Jesus, it was a Samaritan. So Jesus made a point to lift them up. And to, and to bring the Samaritans back and to understand, to say, listen, you're brothers. You're still brothers there, right? Jesus did not show any prejudice towards Samaritans. He went in their villages. He healed the sick. He preached the gospel there. He did wonders in their, um, and miracles in their, um, in their villages. Um, however, for this village in this text, it was enough the fact that Jesus was traveling towards Jerusalem that they said, you know what? We don't want Jesus in our village. He's going to Jerusalem. Now, I don't know exactly the reasons why they rejected Jesus. I don't, maybe it's hard for me to exactly to comprehend, to understand what was going on there, because it's hard not to not to think about the context. Yes, it was, you know, uh, the beginning of our you know, um, it, it was uh, 2,000 years ago, but the word will spread from village to village. That village was not an isolated village. That village have heard, oh, Jesus is healing the sick, and Jesus is doing this, and Jesus can restore relationship, and Jesus can, can help you with your problem. They've heard about Jesus. However, they refused to have him in their village. So this is what it's hard for me to understand and I think it was very hard for the, uh, for the disciples to understand. Was that conflict, the 500 years old conflict, so great that you refused the, the, son of God, the, the Son of God to come into your village? Was that conflict and that hatred going on so powerful that you don't accept the one who can heal the one who can bring peace, the one who can restore relationships. You know, sometimes we can see a similar attitude. There are people who will find reasons not to accept Jesus in their lives and not to accept Jesus in their homes. Maybe they've seen the wonders, maybe they've seen the miracles that Jesus is doing in your lives or in other lives, but still when it comes to them, they say, no, I, I, I'm not ready or I don't want to accept Jesus. And maybe there are all kinds of excuses, excuses because of the historic reasons, or they would like to welcome Jesus, but he needs to be more ecumenical, or Jesus needs to drop his teaching about this, or whatever. It's sad to see that there are still people who reject Jesus and the kingdom of God. And I pray that if you are here to do, uh, this morning and you don't know the Lord, the Lord is still asking you. The Lord has an open invitation. And please don't reject him. He always says, come to me. Come to me, all of you are weary. All, uh, all of you who have all these troubles. And I'm going to give you rest. This invitation is open for us today. So I pray that all of us, we're going to listen to that invitation. And we're going to accept him. We're going to accept Jesus in our lives. Now, we saw in the text what was the attitude of the people towards Jesus or towards the kingdom of God. Secondly, we want to see what is the attitude of people towards people, right? Or how do people relate to people? And this is when we look at verse 54, and um, it says, When his disciples, James and John, saw that, 
Um, they said, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven to consume them just as Elijah did? That's interesting. So the disciples felt so offended, so hurt by the rejection of this Samaritans towards Jesus that they felt that it was their duty and their responsibility to punish those Samaritans. How dare they reject Jesus? Maybe they said, uh, so we have the names of at least two of them, James and John. Maybe Peter joined in because he was very impulsive. And, and maybe they had conversation with Jesus and said, what do you mean, Jesus, they don't receive you? Is this possible? Jesus, you know what? We have a solution for this. Maybe they said, we have a hot solution, Jesus. Let's ask fire from heaven and destroy them. How dare them they reject the kingdom of God? And it's interesting because the disciples, they thought, oh, we thought about the best solution. And you know what? Maybe Jesus will just applaud us and we'll say, right on, right on. That's very good. But it wasn't like that, right? And the, the other interesting thing is that the disciples didn't knew their Gospels or didn't knew their Bible too well. They used the argument of Elijah, prophet Elijah, and say, Jesus, do we want us to bring fire from heaven as Elijah did? Now, Elijah, Elijah's story is very different than this. And actually, we want to look there to see exactly what happened with Elijah. Do we know how many times did Elijah call down fire from heaven? How many times? Ooh, I should have a, um, you know, a prize or something like that. There are two times when Elijah called down fire from heaven. Okay, two times. I like history. I like the story of Elijah. If you've heard me preaching in the past, you know that I like Elijah. I preached about him. So I'm passionate about that. Now, the first time when we see Elijah calling down fire from heaven, we can find it in the book of 1 Kings chapter 18. And in that context, we have Elijah who believes that he's the only man, the only prophet who's representing God, and the rest of the country is worshiping idols. And the king at that time, it was Ahab. Right, And uh, I, I will not go into the entire story to see exactly what happened there. But um, what happens is there is a contest between Elijah and Ahab and his um, prophets of Baal. And they say, you know what? We'll come together on Mount Car Carmel and each of us will going to bring an offering. We'll build an altar, bring an offering. Uh, an offering means uh, like an animal was sacrificed, was put there. And they said, you know what? Each of us will going to pray to their God and the God who sends fire from heaven to burn the offering. That's the true God. So um, Elijah told to the, other, um, to the other prophets, they said, you are more. So you start. So the prophets of Baal, they tried and they chanted and they've done this and they've done that for hours. However, they were not able to call down fire from heaven. And then in um, 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 36, I'll just read because it's beautiful how it's described there. It says, when the time of the evening sacrifice arrived, Elijah the prophet stood up and said, O Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and I'm your servant 
and that I have done all of these things by your word. Answer me, Lord, answer me, so that these people will know you, O Lord. Or we will know, O Lord, you are God, and you are turning their hearts back to you. Fire from, um, fire from the Lord fell on the sacrifice, and the wood, and the stones, and the dirt. And all the people saw this. When all the people saw this, they fell on their knees and said, The Lord he is God. The Lord, He is God. So in this context, when Elijah calls down fire from heaven, it was not on the people to punish them for worshiping idols or for um, not believing in God. No, it was a sign for people to believe that only God can send fire from heaven and it was on, on the sacrifice, on the sacrifice. Um, now, the second time when Elijah called down fire from, uh, fire from heaven, it was in this, the book of 2 Kings chapter 1. In this context, King Ahab has died, and now the king, to replace him, was his son, Azahiah, who was sick because he injured himself by mistake. And Azahiah um, stepped exactly in, in, the, um, in the way of his father. He worshipped idols. He didn't believe in God. So what happened, Azahiah said, you know, he was so sick, he was suffering. So he sent some messengers to a foreign country, to a foreign idol, to ask, am I going to get well? Am I going to get well? And... God is summoned, um, God is talking to, to Elijah, and Elijah is summoned to say, Elijah, go to meet those messengers from the king and tell them, is there not a true God in Israel that you go to ask the idols about your health? Therefore, says the Lord, you will die. Well, these messengers, they came back to the king, delivered the message, and what do you think? The king was not happy. King Ezekiah was not happy with that. So what he did, he, he sent a captain with 50 men to fetch Elijah and say, go and bring Elijah here for me. And in 2 Kings chapter 1, from verse 9, it says, so he sent the captain of 50 men to Elijah. He went up to him, and there, and there Elijah was, sitting on the top of a hill. I'll just pause here for a second. The first time when Elijah called on fire from heaven, after that, the queen wanted to take his life. So Elijah ran away and hid. He was in, in the desert. He wanted to die. He was done. Later on, after he went through the desert, met God, had an encounter with God, he came back. Now we see Elijah where he is. He says, there he was on the top of a hill saying, here I am. Come and get me. So I'm continuing to read. So the captain um, so he sent the captain of 50 men to Elijah. He went up to him, and there Eliza, Elijah was sitting on top of a hill. Then the captain said to him, Man of God, the king says, Come down. Then Elijah answered the captain, If I am a man of God, let fire from, from the sky and consume you and your 50 men. Then fire fell from the sky and consumed him and his 50 men. If you continue to read the story, this happens a second time. The king sends another captain with another 50 men, and he uh, exactly says the same words, and they die. And now the king is relentless, so he sends a third captain. So the king sent a third captain with his 50 men. The third captain went 
and got down on his knees before Elijah and begged for mercy. And he said to Elijah, man of God, let my life and the life of these 50 servants of yours be precious in your eyes. Look, fire from the sky fell on the, and consumed the first two captains and their companies of 50 men. But now let the lives of your servants be precious. Then the angel of the Lord said to Elijah, go down with him, do not fear him. So Elijah stood up and went down with him to the king. Now what do you think that was Elijah's reasons to ask fire from heaven for this, uh, for those soldiers. And there are a few different opinions there. Um, what we, some commentators are saying that at that time, a lot of people from, from Judah, they were not believing in God. So those, um, those captains, when they come and say, men of God, maybe they use a sarcastic tone, but it's hard to capture that in writing. Maybe you say, oh, hey, do you think that you are the man of God? Come here. The king has some issues, some, some business with you. And then Elijah wants to make a, a stand to say, no, I'm the man of God. And if I'm a man of God, you know, I'm going to prove that by, by calling fire down from heaven. And he has done that twice, Right. So it's important to see what happened in Elijah's time and then what happened with the Samaritans. What happened with the Samaritans? Because it had nothing to do. These two, there were a few different stories. There are two, two different stories. Sometimes I think about, you know, that sometimes we are exactly like, um, like the disciples. We are so impulsive and we're just going in front of God and we want to react Sometimes maybe our personality gets the best of us. I don't know if we, if we have nicknames. You know what was the nickname for uh, disciple John and uh, James? What was their nickname? It was Sons of Thunder. Well, I don't know how they got their name, but it looks like the Sons of Thunder wanted to call down fire from heaven, right? So that means they were very impulsive. So the Sons of Thunder, their personality came to the surface, right? And sometimes this is happening to us. The disciples wanted, to, uh, wanted instant judgment for the Samaritans who rejected Jesus. The disciples overstepped their boundaries and they, their roles and they wanted to be God. We've heard and we talked about there are three kingdoms. My kingdom, the kingdom of God, and the kingdom of Satan. And in this context, the disciples, they wanted to be God. And they want to determine who lives and who, who dies. And sometimes I think that we do exactly the same, and we're just overstepping our boundaries. You know, it's sad to see that the disciples had this attitude after three years of learning from Jesus. After three years of listening to his teaching, after three years of seeing his compassion for people, after three years of seeing the ministry for the lost, it's so disappointing. Also, it's disheartening because these um, this disciples were there when Jesus preached in the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus said, Blessed are the merciful. And blessed are the pure in heart. And blessed are the peacemakers. And blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness. It's almost like they forgot about that. They didn't even remember, oh, maybe Jesus preached that for ourselves, right? It's disheartening to see that the disciples did not remember what Jesus taught them a few verses earlier in the same chapter. In Luke chapter 9, verse 23, 
Jesus said in that verse says, Jesus said to all of them, if anyone wants to follow me, let him deny, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. The beautiful thing about Christianity, it is voluntary. Jesus never said you have to be forced to follow me or you have to be tricked to follow me. No, Jesus said, if, if you want to follow me, this is the beautiful thing about it. Jesus wants people to make this decision because they want to, because Jesus is respecting our free will. I wonder if sometimes we struggle with a similar attitude. And I wonder if sometimes, you know, our impulsivity and our emotions take uh, the best of us. And then maybe there are, there are times when we make, emo we make decisions with our emotional mind. Instead of using the ration and emotion, we just made the um, decisions very impulsively with the emotion mind. And we got into trouble. I think that all of us can identify with some of them. And if you struggle with something like that, I want to say that you're not alone. And the good news is that God is not done with you and with me yet. He's still working on our hearts. He's still working on our character. He's still working on our ways um, on, on, in helping us to, to, uh, to take on his values and to respect the other people the same way how he is respecting them. So, we, so far we've seen in this text what was the people's attitudes toward Jesus, and there was rejection. Then what was the people's attitude toward people, and I would say there was punishment. Now in third place, we want to see what is Jesus' attitude towards people. What is the kingdom of God attitude towards people? Verse 55 and 56 says, But Jesus turned to them, towards the disciple, and said, You don't know what kind of spirit is influencing you. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy people's souls, but to save them. And then they went to another village. You know, the disciples were expecting that Jesus would look at them and say, Bravo, you know, you have such a great idea. Yes, we're going to kill these people because this is what we're all about. This is what we do. And, um, you know, I see your passion. I see your loyalty. I see your zeal. I see that you found the best solution for this. But the first 55, it says Jesus turned towards them to say, this message is for you guys. This message is for you. And he corrected them. He corrected the disciples and rebuked them. The Holy Spirit will never influence our thoughts to ask God to kill the people around us. And I was wondering when Jesus said, you don't know what kind of spirit is influencing you. What, what spirit is he talking about? What spirit is Jesus talking about there? I think that all of us struggle with that spirit. And that spirit has different names. One of the names, it can be justice no matter what. Justice no matter what. Or a spirit of unforgiveness, a spirit of bitterness, and a spirit of revenge. If you were here last week, you've heard a beautiful sermon about unforgiveness and the power of forgiveness. So I encourage you to reflect on that, because that's exactly what Jesus is teaching us. But if we look here at the spirit of unforgiveness, 
we can see that Jesus is rebuking or is correcting the disciples for the spirit of revenge. You know, we are born with an innate spirit of fairness or justice. And you see it in your kids, right? Because you'll say, oh, it's not fair that my brother has a bigger toy. It's not fair that my sister has a newer phone. You can see it in your kids. When they see injustice, they speak about it, right? And we see it in ourselves. And this is what we've seen also in... Um, in, in the disciples, they've seen the injustice that was done to Jesus. How come they didn't receive him? What was going on there? So, you know, what? we have to do something about it. We have to do it right now. God, they didn't receive you. You know what? This cannot be addressed. We're gonna, we have to do something, right? It was that spirit of, in, uh, of justice, no matter what, but also the revenge. They hurt us. Now we're going to hurt them. We're going to hurt them. And we're going to show them how this is done. The interesting thing is that they were asking Jesus, they said, Jesus, do you want us to call down fire from heaven? No, who had the power to call down fire from heaven? They didn't. Jesus had. But it, it, they didn't even stop to say, Jesus, what do you think about this? Or Jesus, what do you want to do about this? Or Jesus, how are we going to approach this? They just jumped to the conclusion and say, this is the best solution. We're going to call down fire from heaven for these people. Yes. But Jesus' Jesus's attitude was not that. was not to, to destroy the people. And, you know, I, I was thinking about this. I was asking myself, what can we do or what can be done? How can we address our need for justice and revenge? How can we, what can we do about it? And I think that first we have to acknowledge that we have it. I think this is what Jesus told to the disciples. You don't know what's happening with you. In another way, it's like they had zero awareness. They were not aware. It's like, how am I reacting? What's coming up? Right? So we need to be aware of it. To know that sometimes we react and we want to see where is this coming from. That is coming off from that spirit of revenge. We need to acknowledge it. And then we need to change that revenge by submitting my kingdom to the kingdom of God. And to let God take revenge in his own time. If we don't control revenge, revenge will never be enough. Will never be enough and will never stop. And we want to look at, um, you know, what God taught or what Jesus or what the Bible is teaching us about revenge. One of my favorite verses is in Romans chapter 12, verse 19, where it says, Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for, the, for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. I thought about where can we see revenge or, or that spirit of revenge these days? We can see it in families. We can see it in communities. But also I was reading um, um, a few months ago about how did this movement called Mafia started. And I was intrigued by it because I, I had no idea. And it said that, um, so Mafia started in Sicily, in, in the southern part of Italy, um, under when the Sicily was under um, French occupation. So he said it was in, um, in the Easter week of 1282, when what happened, a beautiful young lady was dishonored, 
was raped and killed by a French soldier. And the mother went to the streets yelling, Mafia, Mafia. That means my daughter, my daughter. So what happened at the time is people rallied and said, what happened there? Somebody was killed. Somebody died. And then they started a revolution or they started to get back. You know, they wanted to kill the person who dishonored that, uh, that lady. So what happened after that? France sent more soldiers to kill them. And then they continued the killing. And you know what? It never ended. Because after the French moved away from there, mafia remained there as a way of revenging. And mafia is still today. And that cry for, for revenge, mafia is still even today. The revenge. We don't want to get to that point. We don't need to create our own mafia. We don't need to create our own revenge. But we are taught by the word of God to let the wrath of God take care of it. And for us to submit our spirit and to submit our kingdom to the kingdom of God. And lately, what is Jesus' attitude towards these people? Jesus' attitude toward the people is salvation and eternal life. Every soul, every few human being is very important for God because he died and he gave his life for all the people in this world. Verse 56 is so beautiful. It says, for the Son of Man did not come to destroy people's life. The Son of Man did not come to bring fire from heaven, but he came to save them. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world, or the people in the world, that he gave, his only, he, he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Then in Luke chapter 19, verse 10, it says, And the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. This is Jesus' attitude. You know, even though Samaritans have, have not received him, and even though the disciples who were Jesus' followers acted opposite to the expectation of Jesus, Jesus continued to love and he continues to love the people in the world because he cherishes every single soul and every single human being was destined by heaven, was destined to be in heaven. However, we have a decision to make there. Now, when we look at all this story, we can see that Jesus used the situation to teach the disciples several lessons. Several lessons. And one of them is Jesus used, um, used this, this situation to teach the disciples how to relate to the people who are not um, welcoming the kingdom of God. It's, it's nice to see that for the rest of the Gospels and, and the book of Acts, we don't have any similar situations like this. So we can say that maybe, you know, the, or, or probably the, um, the disciples, they learned their lesson. And they didn't want to ask fire from heaven again. They learned, they, they learned from uh, the lesson. Then Jesus taught the disciples that the kingdom of God is not mandatory. You cannot force somebody in the kingdom of God. But kingdom of God, it's a choice and it's a privilege. It's a privilege to be part of the kingdom of God. Another thing that I, I appreciate is Jesus taught the disciples how to deal with rejection. Now, rejection can be a huge thing, a big deal, but in this context, 
It was so beautiful where we see that Jesus didn't condemn the village for not receiving him. Jesus didn't hold grudges or bitterness about the village. Jesus didn't say, you know what? Hey, we're going to go tomorrow again to see if they're going to accept us. The text says, and they traveled to another village. Sometimes we have to learn from Jesus that when the door of opportunity in this village ends or it closes, then we have to move to another part. We have to move to another village. We have to look for another opportunity. So I don't know about the situation in your life. If you are struggling with the rejection or what's happening there, but I encourage you to pray and to ask God for wisdom. Maybe there is another way. Maybe there's another opportunity to see what's happening and not to be so hurt by that rejection. So this morning we saw the three different kinds of attitudes when it comes to um, regarding the kingdom of God. And I pray that the Holy Spirit spoke to each of us. And I pray that each of us will learn from Jesus how to relate to other people. Let's pray. Father God, we want to thank you for this morning. And we want to thank you for your word. God, we thank you that you are still welcoming people and calling people to salvation even today. And God, I pray that if there are people this morning that do not know you, they're going to hear your calling and they're going to answer to that calling. And God, sometimes we act exactly like the disciples. We are so impulsive and we don't listen to your spirit. I pray that you're going to forgive us and we're going to let your Holy Spirit reign in our hearts. Please change us, model us, and help us to be like you. Please bless the rest of the day and of the week. Amen.